everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Friends here in the house and friends at home, that was John 19. John 19. If you want to follow along as we talk about this moment this morning, we're grateful for God's word. John 19, 16 to 30. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read and and know about that day, that we can understand. Lord, I pray that as we we read and study about the day that that you died on the cross, that, um, that we would not just know it, understand it, read it, but they would feel the reality of it, Lord, in our soul, in our spirit. So be with us, Lord, here in the room and wherever we are gathered as the church. Be with us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that we can look on the cross. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Well, today is a little bit different of a day, isn't it? In the, in the, in the beautiful story, the beautiful story, we look today at a day that beauty was broken. We look at the cross. So a, a butterfly uh, flaps its wings in Argentina, and sometime later, a tsunami blows in on the coast of Japan. Have you ever heard of this? They call it the, the butterfly effect. All things are kind of connected. All things are interconnected, and the atmosphere is this interdependent system, and, it's a, and so one tiny event over here can cause a great difference to be made on the other end of things. One tiny moment, one tiny thing that happens can change everything else. They call it the butterfly effect. So be careful when you sneeze, right? And for lots of reasons, uh, for lots of reasons. But you might be impacting the hurricane season on the East Coast, so watch it. You know, I'm, and I make fun of that a little bit, but it's an interesting way to look at, at the system that we're living in, isn't it? The butterfly effect. Every, hey, I ought to ask. Uh, never mind, I'll ask you later, yeah. We got Mike Moisture in the house. And uh, <laughs> it's like, cut it out. Quit messing around. We're talking about serious stuff here. Um, one little bit of the atmosphere, right, changes everything else. One little change over here, and something over here is totally different. One small event, one giant change. This is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the cross of Christ the crucifixion of Jesus. One event, an enormous difference. One moment, and everything changes. The cross of Christ. It's the linchpin, the hinge of history. It's the, it's the pivot point around which everything bends and turns and goes in a new direction. It's the climax of the beautiful story. It all leads to this moment, the day that beauty was broken. We've talked about beauty. Beauty, beauty was, was threatened, wasn't it, by the curse and the fall. But all that threat of what might go wrong, all that threat actually landed on the shoulders of Jesus when he went to the cross. When he went to the cross. 
here at the cross. Beauty is truly broken. There's nothing beautiful here. It's, it's ugliness. You look on it, you see only ugliness. It's a day that ugliness and hatred won. That's what it looks like. We get to see what it looks like when God's beauty is broken, when God's beauty is destroyed, and we get to take over. We get to run things. This is what it looks like when we are in charge. Here at the cross is a distillation of of the horror of, of human rebellion against God. The wages of sin is death. I can only imagine how the disciples went through that day, you know, and how they thought about what was unfolding. I just think they must have thought at every moment that this must be the moment where things are going to turn around. Maybe this is the moment where Jesus is going to spin out of this. He's going to show his power. He's going to, something's going to show up. God's going to change something, and we're going to get out of this. Maybe now is the moment. And then the arrest came, and Jesus let it happen. And then the trial came, And still no surprising intervention from God. And then they watched as Jesus was taken into the public courtyard, as he's he's beaten by Roman guards, as he's shamed by them, as he's whipped by them. And every moment they must have thought, when is Jesus going to slip out of this? Like he's done so many times before. You see, they... They must have thought everything was going to be fine. I'm sure that they believed everything was going to turn out. You know why I know? Because on Thursday night, they slept like babies, didn't they? When are you going to do it, Jesus? When are you going to slip out of this? When are you going to make that turn like you've done so many times in the past? When are you going to walk on water? When are you going to walk through the crowd and not let them stone you? When are you going to get us out of this? They watch as Jesus takes every whip, every hit, And they must have been thinking, okay, this is horrible, but he's not dead yet. He's not dead. Come on, Jesus. Surely not all the way to Calvary. Surely not all the way to the cross. And there he went, and and there he lay, and the hammer was lifted over the nail. And they must have been thinking, now! Now! Now, Jesus, do it now. No. The hammer comes down. The cross is lifted. He's still alive. He's still breathing. Now, Jesus. No. The bowl breaks. The silver cord is severed. The pitcher falls to the floor. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, what? It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, today's a hard day. Listen, here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes it doesn't work out for the best. Sometimes the, sometimes the bad thing happens. Sometimes the the cure doesn't work. Sometimes the cancer sets in and it takes her life. Sometimes the news from the accident, the truth is, he died. Sometimes the hardest thing happens. 
The crisis isn't averted. The bomb goes off. The, the ship isn't saved. It sinks to the bottom of the sea. And the bowl breaks. And the pitcher shatters. And beauty is broken. That's where Jesus went. On this day, on that cross, he went all the way there, not halfway. He went all the way there. One event that changes everything. Verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. There they crucified him. John doesn't go into a lot of detail. He doesn't draw the whole picture for us. He leaves it to us to, to ask these questions. What, what was crucifixion? What, what was it like? What was the shape of the cross? How did they build it? What did they do? Was he... Uh, was he tied to the, to the cross and nailed, or, or was he just nailed? Did the nails go through the, the palm of the hand or through the wrist, or, or what happened? What were all the details? John doesn't tell us. You know what? It doesn't matter. There they crucified him. That's it. Just like that. It's often lamented that Jesus' whole life and ministry is summed up with only a comma in the Apostles' Creed. Do you know this? You, know, you say the Apostles' Creed together. It goes, he was born of the Virgin Mary, comma, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. It's like born, and then we're here. And you're like, hey, there's a lot of stuff in that comma, right? I mean, there's, there are a lot of beautiful meals and walks on the beach and lots of friends and beautiful things, you know? But all that stuff, it's all just in that tiny little squiggly mark right there. The whole life of Jesus, the whole ministry of Jesus, the whole thing. You know why it does that? Because the creed understands this is what Jesus came to do. He came to die. He came to give his life. And so the Gospels, they spend a third of their chapters on, on this last week of Jesus, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. Why do they do that? Nobody writing a biography of somebody, like you're writing the biography of George Washington or something like that. You would never spend a third of the pages on the last week when he died, how he died. But the Gospels do that. Why? Because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to die. He came to give his life. And his death changes everything. Now, why did Jesus have to die? Why is this part of the story? He had the power not to, right? It says in verse 17, he carried his own cross. Carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Of course, he's forced. But what this is reminding us is that, is that Jesus did this. He did this. He carried his cross. He went out. It, it reminds me of what Jesus said when he was arrested in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. 
Do you think I, could, do you think I couldn't just call an army of, of heavenly, heavenly warriors to get me out of this? What do you think is going on here? And he had, he had tried to tell the disciples earlier in his ministry, tried to teach them that he intended to lay down his life for his sheep. As he said in John 10, he said, I lay down my life, he said. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to do this, to lay it down, and authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. Jesus gave his life. Why? Jesus gave his life as a, as a ransom. It's a blood price to pay the debt of, of, of the claims that dark forces make on us. As they try, to, they try to own us, they try to lay their chains over our souls, they say, you're mine, I, you belong to me, now I, you, I, I lay this claim over you. Jesus says, no, I pay, and I can say, no, you're not, you're not right. I belong to Jesus, he bought me for a price. Amen. It's a ransom. It's a, it's a blood sacrifice to make the covenant between God and sinful humanity, that we can be home with God, can be reconciled to God. It's a substitutionary sacrifice to pay the debt of our sin. It's a death that we sinners deserve that he pays in our place, a substitutionary sacrifice. It's an atonement, an atonement. It's an act of unfathomable love, divine love. God loves us so much that he, he gave his only son to die for us, to die for each of us. That Jesus loves you so much. He died for you. No pain too great, no embarrassment too bad, no, no cost too high. He gave his life the day of broken beauty. We want the beautiful story. Yeah. We said before, sometimes we get off the beautiful story, we'd start telling these, these shrunken stories of God because we don't understand what's going on. And the cross is one of those moments people don't understand what's going on here. What kind of a God is this that allows his son, watches his son die on the cross? What kind of a, kind of like old archaic, old religion thing is this that there's a, a God the Father that needs the, the, the blood of God the Son to fix some kind of a problem? What is going on here? How am I supposed to absorb this? How can this be part of of the beautiful story of God. We get confused. Dallas Willard wrote this. He said, one of our main problems about the way the gospel is presented is it is often presented as if God were a pretty angry and mean person who's going to let you off the hook because someone else took your beating, namely Jesus. And we miss the point that it was the heart of love that sent Jesus. The death of Jesus on the cross did not make God happy when he was unhappy. The death of Jesus on the cross was God's effort to reach human beings with his love. And because of what one member of that divine community did, he's talking about the Holy Trinity there, because of what one member of that divine community of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did, then God as a whole, God is enabled to reach out to human beings and to say to them, the war is over. You don't need to keep fighting. You don't need to carry on the battle any longer because peace comes 
simply by accepting simply by accepting Jesus Christ and the God of Jesus Christ as real peace comes sin has separated us from God God solves that sin has 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 poisoned us unto death God sends the cure Jesus on the cross is God's reaching out in love. Jesus took on flesh to stand in, in our place as a human being and to die as a human being to pay the cost that human beings had to pay to be reconciled to God so that you and I as human beings could be at home with God our Father in heaven. We could have relationship with him. But what I don't want you to miss today, friends, and I know it's hard to look at, I don't want you to miss the ugliness. Crucifixion. It stands as a monument, as a remembrance of what it looks like, what the worst is that one human being can, can do to another. It's Jesus entered that ugliness. Jesus, our beautiful Savior, submitted himself to all the ugliness and cruelty of the perverted human condition. Get this now. This is what it looks like when we're in charge. Crucifixion, what an ugly thing. It's such a horrible thing. You can't even imagine doing it to the worst of people, let alone our beautiful Savior. And this is what it looks like when we're in charge. What do I mean? I mean Jesus gave it over. He submitted. He said, I'm in your hands. He, he, he laid down his authority. This is what it looks like when we're in charge. This is what it looks like when we name ourselves God and we try to fix things on our own the way we think it needs to be done. This is what it looks like when we walk away from God's word. The cross stands as a reminder and a monument. This is humanity in control. This, it looks like this. Jesus submitted to the Roman guards. Jesus submitted to the false trial of the Sanhedrin. Jesus submitted to the authority of Pontius Pilate to take a life in the first place. He submitted to human power. This is us in control. This is us trying to solve things. The cross. Broken beauty. But for those who who have eyes to see it, there's beauty even there. As what's happening is God in Jesus Christ laying down his life out of love, as Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So, friends, the butterfly effect. One moment One event changes everything. The cross, the cross itself, this instrument of of horror, this symbol of of Roman will to power and, 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 and kind of violent conquering of others, that symbol itself, what happened to it? It's transformed. How many crosses are there in the world today? And what are they doing? Where are they? They're symbols of beauty. They're marks of hope. Sitting on top of awe-inspiring cathedrals or outdoor and camp chapels in beautiful places or on hilltops over cities or around necks as reminders. 
The cross is a symbol of beauty. They're in Asia, Africa, South America, New York City, on the foothills of Denver, beautiful monuments to a beautiful Savior. The cross. Jesus transformed it. Jesus changed it. If Jesus can transform the ugliness of the cross into a global and universal symbol of life and hope and joy, don't you think he can change your life and take what's ugly and make it beautiful and transform the deformed and restore the broken? On the cross, friends, was a, a message. Did you catch it? From Pontius Pilate, verse 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Some didn't like it. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. There's a notice on this cross. There's a message that goes out. There's something that's been posted. The cross is, in a way, it's a message posted forever for all people. Like a signpost that someone nails a message to. It says, look here, look here. Here is, here is, here is Jesus. Look on Jesus. Here is where he gave his life. Here is where the ugliness and the hate and evil spent all of its energy and poured it all out right here and now because of what happened next. And now, now it's a signpost of beauty. See, there's news attached to the cross, a message for us to share and on World Communion Sunday and on City Serve Sunday, we see that this message has gone right around the world, comes back to us with joy. We see that this message goes out whenever we're sending uh, our, our folks out to love and care and serve our city. I think we had like 70 of our youth group out shoveling stuff and changing stuff and making stuff beautiful yesterday. Just, I just want to say praise God for you guys doing that. Thank you for what you did. Because that's part of it. The message of the cross is posted. It's posted. There's a moment that the Son of God gave his life. There's a moment, an event, and that changes everything. There's a moment when for you and for me, beauty itself was broken. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you, that you came and gave your body, gave your blood, that you became for us an atoning sacrifice. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And help us to look. We want to look on beauty. We want to look, Lord, with joy. Help us to look on the cross and know the power when you submitted yourself to all of ugliness and sin, when you gave your life over in love for each of us, help us to look to the cross and to lift our heads. In Jesus' name. So it's our joy today, friends, to come to the table.
what we call world communion because we know that uh, today uh, there's a lot of churches that participate in this. And, and as we say on today, this table extends way beyond First Pres. This table extends straight around the world itself. And um, we're coming to the table together here. If you're at home, now's the time to have your elements ready. And we're coming in kind of a, a slightly different way, aren't we? I hope you got a little um, individual, sanitary, safe and sanitary communion cup. <laughs> and I want you to know a couple things about this. Two things, if you can, with me. One is um, uh, hold off opening until we do it together. There's a little crinkling that happens, and we just want to do the... Don't crinkle alone, people. We want to crinkle together <laughs> if we're going to crinkle at the table of our Lord. And then the second thing, I want you to know that the bread is actually in the, the, the top of the cup, okay? So you've got to pull a little bit of cellophane off, get to the bread. Now, surprise of all surprises, for as bad as this bread tastes, it is not gluten-free. So, uh, so when, when you take the... You like that? <laughs> so if you need gluten-free elements, we have folks to help you just send your hand in the air and we'll get you a little baggie with the gluten-free elements. This is what we can do. And we're grateful. We can come to the table of the Lord. A table that was not won for us. By any cost I paid, by any cost Pastor Lydia paid, by any victory that we've won here as a church, a table that was won for us by Jesus Christ who came and gave his body and his blood an atoning sacrifice for you and for me that we can come home to the table of the Lord. Scripture tells us as we approach the table of communion, tells us to examine ourselves. I want to ask you just to take just a, just a half minute of silence just to examine ourselves for the holiness of the Lord our God. Lord, don't let us linger long in our sin. Show us what is wrong and amend in the mercy of Jesus Christ. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprescos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.